It's a new year, and we're going to do things, uh, we're going to try out a couple new things. Uh, so I'm up here on the stage, and we'll see how it goes, whether it stays or not. But uh, um, <clears throat> we're going to try some new things uh, in the new year. It's good to be back with you this morning. Um, I was on, ho- me and my family were on holidays last week, and then I-, I saw you maybe briefly for Christmas Eve as you were running in and out. Uh, but then I, the week before, Sunday before that, I was quite sick, and you may uh, hear it still a little bit because I'm still getting over it. Probably going to give you one or two coughs, coughs during the uh, sermon, so you have to bear with me. Uh, but it's it's good to be back. Um, whether you uh, recognize me or, or not, you're all kind of in the same boat this morning. You are stuck without your fearless leader. Uh, you're stuck with me. Uh, James is uh, taking a. a a well-needed break. Uh, he's obviously here and uh, around, as you already saw him this morning. But uh, I'll be with you for the next four weeks. And we're going to be going through a sermon series called Be Happy. And uh, it's a four-week series, and uh, we're going to kick it off uh, this morning. Uh, and someone asked me as I was telling them, well, what are you going to be speaking on? I said, oh, be happy. And I said, well, is that because you're always so happy? And I said, no, that's not it at all. Uh, you know, if James and I were only allowed to uh, preach on things that we had already mastered, uh, it would be a pretty, you know, it'd probably be like a one run, you know, you just hear the same message every week. It'd be one long message about, you know, looking drop-dead gorgeous or something like that, because that's obviously what we've got mastered. But uh, no, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a four-week uh, message on be happy, and uh, that word, happiness, uh, it brings to, to mind a lot of different things, a lot of different images, a lot of different, uh, can mean a lot of different things to you. It has some uh, emotion behind it, but it's also one of those vague words that it's not very clear. What is happiness and what does it mean to be happy? And um, Steph and I, I just made her watch the movie The Giver. Um, I don't know if you've seen that. I, I made her watch it because The Giver was one of like less than a handful of books that I actually read in high school. So uh, I said, okay, I'll make her sit through the movie. Uh, But one of the things they say is, you know, precision of language, right? Happiness is one of those words that it can mean just this massive amount of uh, pictures and images. And so uh, maybe uh, when I say be happy, it, it you know, brings up some feelings and some emotions, some images in you. Maybe one of them uh, is this lovely uh, uh, song clip. Here's a little song I wrote. You might you feel free to sing along at any point. No, don't worry. Be happy. It's the uh, life we have some trouble. Bobby McFerrin, uh, all vocal. Uh, there's no actual uh, instruments. It was the first only vocal song to make it to number one on the charts. Uh, probably even more popularized by Billy the Bass. I don't know if you had like one of those, I, like our family had a, a fish on a plaque that used to come alive and sing uh, the song. No? Uh, maybe that was just, just my dad that had one of those. Uh, but, uh, or maybe uh, circa 1994, if you were, uh, if you had kids that were maybe around my age or you're around my age or grandkids around my age that were into uh, Christian music around 94, maybe you heard this song. 
The uh, band Delirious uh, singing the happy song. Maybe you heard that one, or uh, maybe music's not your thing. Uh, maybe you're more of a film buff. Maybe you remember uh, this uh, Will Smith picture, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness. You guys remember that one? Uh, telling the story of uh, him and his son as he uh, becomes a stockbroker based on a true story. Uh, or lastly, this will kind of, this is kind of your pop culture quiz, see how, you know, hip and happening you are, how many new songs you know. Uh, If you've turned on the radio to pretty much any station in the last two years, uh, you probably heard this song uh, by Pharrell. saw the minions at the end it was uh that was, was part of uh the despicable me movies uh they featured that movie or that song uh i james i think we should get some of those hats that pharrell was wearing i think that's uh what we need to do uh but um <clears throat> oh he stepped out <laughs> uh but yeah maybe you recognize that one a couple uh celebrities in there but uh it seems like everybody has a different idea of what happiness should be in fact if you type in i just did this for fun a quick google search of be happy uh it comes up with a couple results in fact you can the first result 10 scientifically proven ways to be incredibly happy uh and then followed right under that a wiki how uh 12 uh, how to be happy 12 steps with pictures. That one comes with pictures. Uh, so I didn't know that was needed to be happy, but uh, it comes with some, a tutorial. Uh, but maybe you've heard of uh, TED Talks. Uh, in fact, there's a very famous TED Talks, uh, very famous TED Talk uh, given by a Buddhist monk, uh, Matthew Ricard. Uh, it's called The Habits of Happiness. And in fact, it's been viewed 4.6 million times. 4.6 million times people have wanted to know what are the habits of happiness. But when we're talking about happiness, one of the things we probably need to clear up right away is that uh, we're not talking about that fleeting moment of, you know, bliss. I think you could all be probably pretty happy. You know, if I walked down the aisles and gave everyone 20 bucks, you'd be like, I'm pretty happy right now. I got 20 bucks. That's pretty good. Uh, But that's not what we're actually talking about over the next four weeks. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about that deep sense of uh, meaning or of purpose. We're going to be talking, maybe a better word to use it is fulfillment. 
Maybe a better word is contentment. It's that sense that where I am in life and what I'm doing is what I'm supposed to be doing. That I'm a part of something. That I'm contributing to something. And that I'm able to look over my life and say that I am a part of a narrative that God is at work in my life. That's what we're talking about. And there's no, I couldn't think of one real, one word that would capture it. But that's what we're going for, for four weeks. You know, each and every one of us has that drive, that that motivation, that deep down sense of, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to be doing. This is what I want to be a part of. And often, maybe even if we can't put our finger on it, we can normally put our finger on when things are wrong. Things aren't the way they should be. I don't feel like things are going the way they should be. I'm not happy at my job. I'm not happy in this relationship. Things aren't the way I feel that they should be. We all have this deep down drive, this this barometer of whether things are right or wrong. And like I said, everybody kind of has a different take on what that means uh, and what happiness looks like in different situations. In fact, maybe you've heard of a, a man, Sigmund Freud. It's a pretty popular, you know, pretty popular figure. Well, he said that everybody's deep down drive was a pursuit of pleasure. In fact, he said that you could look at anybody. You could, all of you could look at me and you could say, what is it that Tim needs to become or needs to get in order to give himself pleasure. And you could actually begin to predict my behavior based on my pursuit of pleasure. That my pursuit of pleasure was what was driving my deepest motivations. And there was... Maybe you've heard of that, maybe you haven't, but there was, uh, there's probably someone who you probably haven't heard of, and he actually came on the scene about 10, 20 years just after Freud. He studied under Freud, but then he did some other, uh, his own work, and his name is Viktor Frankl. And we'll talk a little bit about uh, Viktor Frankl next week uh, more in depth, but he wrote a book called uh, Man's Pursuit of Meaning. And in that book, he, he argued with Freud, and he said, actually, uh, and I got the quote here, man's main concern is not to gain pleasure or to avoid pain, but rather to see a meaning in his life. In response to Freud, who was saying, you're just, you know, we are all creatures of pleasure. We're just driving after pleasure. What we have to become, what we have to do to get pleasure. Frankel comes along right behind him and says, Freud, you're, you're missing the picture. What man needs most is a deep need of meaning. He needs to have that sense. He or her, I'm saying man, but gender inclusive. He or she needs to have that sense of meaning in their life. And what happens is when we don't have that meaning in our life, when we don't have something that is grounding us and that we're feeling that contentment, what we do is we turn to pleasure. We turn to a pursuit of pleasure to numb ourselves. We turn to the pursuit of pleasure to distract ourselves. Doesn't that, I mean, does that ring true with you at all? Does that sound like you at all? Does it maybe sound like, it's probably easier to say it sounds like someone you know. Uh, a little, that's easier than saying it sounds like you. But does that, does that ring true with you at all? I mean, if you're like me, 
After a hard day of work, and you know, and you know, you've dealt with whatever situation you're kind of at your capacity. What what do you do? You go home and you walk in the door. You kind of just, you know whether my li- wife likes it or not. I just drop everything at the front door, which she hates, by the way. But I just drop everything at the front door and I wander in and I turn on Sports Center and I sit down on the couch and I zone out. I'm recognizing. I'm. What am I doing? I'm numbing myself. I'm escaping. I'm trying to distract myself. I don't want to deal with the realities of how hard that day with day is. I'm at capacity. I can't take on any more things. So I'm going to escape. I'm going to try and, you know, distract myself to numb myself. We, work, we use other words like decompress or unwind or whatever kind of you know verbiage you want to put on it, but ultimately, what are we doing? We're trying to numb ourselves from the reality that what I'm experiencing right now is not what I want to be experiencing. And it doesn't have to be TV. Uh, Maybe TV's not your escape. Maybe it's, you know, you want to listen to the radio, or you go on your computer, uh, you know, you're surfing endless uh, hours of Facebook or Twitter or message boards, or just so you don't think I'm picking on technology, uh, you know, you escape to a workshop or a garage, or, you know, you go down to your sewing room or out to your garden. There's some place that you typically, or activity that you do to try and unwind, decompress, but it's to escape. It's to try and numb yourself. And I just want to be clear, just just hold up a little second. I'm not saying that any of these activities are wrong by themselves. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing inherently sinful about Facebook or gardening or working in your garage. But it's, it's like Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Have you heard that one before? See, it's not sinful to be on Facebook or in your garage. But it's not beneficial to use these things as an escape. It's not beneficial to use them to numb this reality. It's not beneficial to spend more time on Facebook than fostering my relationship with God. It's not more beneficial to watch, uh, you know, the, the, the sports game or HGTV instead of paying attention to our kids and family. It's not beneficial to, and, and you need to fill in the blank, whatever that is for you. <clears throat> the reality is, no one plans on living, uh, no one plans on living a meaningless life. But few people plan to live a meaningful one. No one plans on living a meaningless life, but few people plan to live a meaningful one. And so we find ourselves in this weird tension, and you might be like like me, where we, we recognize that the situation that I'm in is not how things should be. They're not how I want them to be, and they're not, I know they're not how they should be. At best, I maybe see a distant, blurry picture of how things should be way out there. But I have no clue how to get from here to there. 
Sometimes I don't even have that blurry picture. I just am aware that where I'm in and the context I'm in, maybe the work placement or the relationship or whatever it is, the thing I'm in isn't working and I see no way out of it. I see no path that gets me from here to being happy. And so what I do is I numb myself. I escape. And we turn lots of different places. I mean, we have piles and piles and piles of self-help books. We have, uh, you know, maybe you can go and get more education to try and get yourself out of a certain work environment that, you know, you can go back and, and, and retrain. And uh, maybe if, if it's a, a spiritual issue, you, you turn to some spiritual exercises. Maybe they're Christian, maybe they're not, you know. Maybe you, the answer is, oh, maybe I should tithe more so that my financial situation will uh, change. Or uh, I just need to pray more so that I can uh, do this. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things. But the reality is, is Jesus and God, God didn't create prayer and tithing to get you out of a, of a sticky situation. He, he, got, he created those things to partner with you, to work through you. And doing those things just for the sake of doing them, those rituals won't get you anywhere. Maybe it's non-Christian things. Maybe it's, you know, you're turning to meditation or, uh, you know, to reading your horoscopes or whatever it is. But the reality is, is we all are searching for that meaning. We're all searching for that purpose. And in fact, if you don't think people are searching for that purpose... Go home and look at your bookshelf or in a box in your basement. I guarantee you probably have this book on your bookshelf. The Purpose Driven Life. Who's heard of The Purpose Driven Life? Yeah? You know why you've all heard of it? It is the best-selling, non-fiction, hardback book in history. The Purpose Driven Life has sold over 32 million copies. And inspired millions to live their life on purpose. That's straight from the uh, publisher. But think about that. 32 million copies of this book have gone on. Have, have been sold and gone out around the world. It's, I don't have the stats. It's been translated into numerous languages. It's gone out around the world. But in that book, Rick Warren writes this. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. It'll come up. Oh, technical difficulties. There you go. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. It may not surprise you that, you know, Rick Warren being a pastor didn't just pull that out of, out of thin air. Uh, that is actually from the Bible. And it's from Colossians 1.16. It says, For everything, absolutely everything, above and below visible and invisible, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. And that's where we're going to land this morning. I want you to just, you know, 
maybe find your pulse and say, if, you, if, if you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose. That's my alliteration there. That'll help you remember it, all right? In fact, if I, everybody find their pulse. Can you do that right you're on your neck or on your, on your arm? Or, you know, find your pulse. Say it with me. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. That'll help you remember it. And I'll, don't worry, you'll get quizzed next week, all right? So you better remember that. But uh, it doesn't matter if you're 5 or 105. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. The best thing about that verse is it doesn't even matter if you want to be included or not. You don't even get a say. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. (laughs) In fact, your life fits into a much larger cosmic story that's going on. God is inviting you into his story. And maybe you are saying, I'm not sure whether I'm in that story or not in that story or if I've strayed from that story or if this you know, hurdle is part of my story or if I'm being derailed from my story. It doesn't matter. You are a part of the story. You can't escape it. Because God is the one. He's the author. In fact, in church circles, we have these two lovely long words that you may or may not have heard of. Uh, And the first one is justification, and the second one is sanctification. You ever heard of those words? Justification, sanctification? I, I like to think of it this, J for justification and S for sanctification. J for justification is about Jesus, and S in sanctification is about the Spirit. And the first one, let's look at the first one, justification. Justification is the way God invites you into his story. You have been given a way to come in. In fact, there is an invitation here and on the table for you to be a part of God's story. We just celebrated the Christmas season God came. He made a way. He sent his son. God is with us. There is nothing, nothing that hinders you from becoming a part of God's story. The invitation has been written, has been sent, has been paid for. All you have to do is accept the invite. Jesus came to welcome us in to God's plan, into his purpose. And maybe you're here saying, you know, I don't know if I'm a part of the story. I don't know if I've accepted the invitation to become a part of the story or not. Then that's fine. Just let's just start there. All it takes is a simple conversation. God, I don't know if I'm a part of your story or not, but I want to be. I want to be a part of your story. Please welcome me in to your family. And the answer is always always yes. He always invites you in. He always welcomes you in. And maybe some of you are here, I imagine if, you know, if I know you well enough, probably most of you are in that second group, sanctification, which is about the work of the Spirit. Sanctification is the work of the Spirit that makes us into Christ's image more and more every day. See, we're all on a journey. We're all in the story. 
And if you think you're done growing, then what you've done is you have not made room for the Spirit. You haven't made room for the Spirit to work in you, to change you into Jesus' image. It says in the Scripture that we should all reflect Jesus. We should all be representatives of Him. In fact, if you want to do a quick check to see whether you've made room for the Spirit, just ask yourself this simple question. What has God taught me about Himself that is new? In fact, if you want to make it even more pointed, what has God taught me about Himself that is new this week? What have I learned about Him this week? Not what have I learned, sorry, let me rephrase that. Not what have I learned about Him. What knowledge have I gained about Him or about the Bible? But what has, how has our relationship changed? How have I been changed more to represent Jesus? Now what cool theology concepts have I heard or what scripture uh, insights have I gained or what new books have I read? But how has my experience with God changed this week? See, if we can't put our finger on, on a way that we've been changed, what we've done is we've allowed our spiritual life to grow stagnant. See, if you have a pulse, you have a purpose. But we can't begin to understand, we can't begin to understand our purpose without first recognizing our foundation in Christ and without allowing room for the Spirit to change us. See, if, if you sit down with someone of, I, I don't want to, you know, center anyone out, but of a certain age, they will say something to you like, when I was younger, I didn't know what I didn't know. Have you ever heard someone say that before? There's a maturity that comes when you can say, I now know what I don't know. I now can recognize that there is, some, there is room to grow. That there are things that I need to, to, to learn about. I need to continue to learn about. See, if we don't allow room for the Spirit's movement and our foundation in Christ, it's nothing more than self-help. We're relying on our own failures. So what we're going to do this morning is simply a prayer a communal prayer for growth. And I, just so you don't think I made this up, it's from the Bible. It's Ephesians 3, verse 16 to 19. And what I've done is I've changed it just a little bit so that we can all read it together. And I, we're still having technical difficulties. So what we're going to do is, I'm, if you all stand with me, I'll read a phrase and then you can repeat it. Does that sound good? goes like this. God, strengthen me by your Spirit. Give me your glorious inner strength. I open the door and invite you in to come live in me. Plant my feet firmly on love. That I may take in the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. love. 
help me reach out and experience the breadth, test its length, plumb the depths, and rise to the heights. Help me to live a life in the fullness of God. Paul goes on there from there to read a benediction over, uh, well, write a benediction over the congregation. And I want to read that over you this morning. God can do anything you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Glory to God in the church. Glory to God in the Messiah in Jesus. Glory down all the generations. Glory through all millennia. Oh yes. Amen. Father, we commit ourselves to you. Father, we invite you. No, we accept your invitation into your story. That we will be grounded in the reality that you are calling us into a purpose, into a meaning, into a life of fulfillment and happiness. That you are calling us into a life where we are not just uh, on our own, but you are there guiding and directing us. And Father, we commit ourselves to growth, to renewal. We commit ourselves to leaving room for your spirit to change us. For us to experience you new with a freshness every day, every week, every hour. Father, we commit ourselves to being a part of your story. Wherever that takes us. Father, we ask that you would be with us. And as we go forth from this place, we recognize that you are writing our story. You are partnering with us as we go. That there are things you are calling us to this week that are a part of that story. Father, may we give room to your, to your spirit to move. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Why don't you join us for some uh, fellowship time out in the uh, foyer. Uh, There's some coffee and tea and uh, some cookies and I even saw some fruit.